This is the ZMAR Podcast. Elite Benefits of America helps small and mid-sized companies with their health insurance programs. And now, your host, Butch ZMAR. So welcome back to the ZMAR Podcast. Today uh, in studio, I have Daniel Wells from uh, ClaimDoc. He's going to start uh, help me share some of the insight of what ClaimDoc's doing, some of the claims problems we're having, and what some employers could be doing. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks. Thanks, Bush. And thanks for inviting me. And, I, and I'm glad I'm in studio um, down on the south side. Yes. I had to you know, switch out my Cubs hat. Yes, yeah. Well, but happy thanks. to do it. Happy yeah, to do it. I was going to say, thanks for making the, the drive down and um, uh, being in studio. A lot of people just prefer the phone call, so I appreciate you being here. Uh, a little bit different experience, I would say, because especially the interaction. Uh, can you give our audience a little bit of background on where you, you come from and then a little bit of background on Claim Doc? Let's see. It's only, a, what, a half-hour podcast, so I'll, I'll, I'll do yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, keep it simple. The, the cliff notes. Um, I've actually been in employee benefits for about 28 years. Um, I was with Travelers when they did when they had major medical and helped with that transition when United and MetLife bought them to Metro Health, um, and that was I was originally from Salt Lake and did that transition and then started my first third party administrator, my TPA, which was managed care administrators out of Salt Lake. Went to the Bay Area for a while and helped start up a TPA in the Bay Area, and then I got into electronic distribution. And was one of the first employees at eHealth. I helped eHealth. I helped Extend Health. And then what brought me to Chicago was GoHealth, transitioning them to be a call center for the ACA and AEP. Um, but really, my forte and what my drive was is the risk, is to try to understand the risk in employee benefits and the fact that this country is, you know, spends so much money, $2 trillion a year on, on health and care, and our outcomes are, are, are low. I mean, it's not worth that money. So that's really what's got me going. Um, Claim Doc was a really good fit. Um, I've worked both on the provider side with revenue cycle management companies, um, but my I really like the payer side because I think that's where the impact is, is the people who control the purse strings. Claim Doc is, you know, reference-based pricing is what they used to call it. It's more, I think, more descriptive to say it's a negative replacement platform that not only gives you a different platform on how do we pay claims instead of a wholesale price discount, why don't we figure out the cost of healthcare? And it differs around the country, it differs by specialty, and it differs by the patient, what what that provider has to provide to improve our outcomes. And that's where ClaimDoc comes into play. They not only look at what that what's a fair and equitable reimbursement for those claims, but also a 360-degree look at risk mitigation, but also claims auditing. And everything's done in-house, which is really unique in, uh, for vendors. Um, that's, in a synopsis, that's what ClaimDoc is, and that's what we do. Um, so we are reference-based pricing, but it's more holistic than that. I actually want to take you back in time just a little bit and your experience uh, with eHealth because, I've, and correct me if I'm wrong, eHealth created um, a platform for the individual space. Is that correct? And then eventually they moved the group? Yeah. Um, eHealth, when I first got there, they were actually doing Medicare and individual. We transitioned because Medicare wasn't really selling. I mean, when I started in 1999 at eHealth, I was a carrier relations director. So I was going out to the legacy carriers and trying to convince them that online marketing was a viable alternative to over-the-counter sales, especially on the individual market where 
at that time, and I think still today, it's, it's more of a commodity. Um, so it's that education of the end user, the insured. And so that's what I did with eHealth. Um, I went to Extend Health in 2005 out of Salt Lake. And that's when we transitioned to that individual platform, that sales platform, and incorporated group health into that with the HRA. And this was prior to that actually being legal in 23 states. <laughs> so we ran into some regulatory issues, um, but it was legal on the Medicare side. And so when I went to Extend Health, we did the first private exchange to transition legacy retirees, um, mainly for the automotive industry. GM, Chrysler, Caterpillar were our first clients um, and set up an, that HRA platform to give retirees that bucket of money to go out and shop the open market for Medicare supplements, Medicare Advantage and, and Part D programs. Um, and I set up that, that arrangement, trained all the agents in that call center out there the, they were bought by Towers Watson for 400 and some odd million bucks. And, uh, and, and, and that's still, that, that business model is still one of their um, cash cows. Interesting. And now transition to GoHealth, um, it was more specifically in the individual market um, or, the, or the, did you help build platforms or help work with them? To, uh, because they, they started tampering with group, groups at some point. I just don't know when. They were more in the individual market. Um, when I went, they weren't even called GoHealth. They were called Norvax. Yes, I remember <laughs> they, they, that. They, they, they were basically a rating engine platform that sold to individual brokers. I came in to Go Health in 2010, and this is when the ACA was going on, and helped them transition and build a sales team in, in the in-house agents in downtown Chicago, which is probably not the most cost-effective way to do it. But then we started taking over. Coventry was our first client, and when the healthcare.gov imploded, we had to do something. And so the, you know, the private market had already had that. eHealth had already had an individual marketplace that somebody could go to and shop. Um, we just didn't have the financial component and that risk adjustment component that was part of the ACA. I helped GoHealth train all their agents and get that platform up and going. Um, and then two years later, we signed Anthem and we started doing the AEP for the Medicare side. Yeah. So, so I guess where I was going with a lot of it is that there's a lot of technology that was bringing in, in, in your experience. And then, of course, analyzing the risks. You weren't necessarily on the retail side like I am. Um, and, and bringing that to ClaimDoc, right? And that's where I was headed, where um, ClaimDoc with risk analysis. I'm actually curious on, on, on some of that past experiences. How is that coming to the light now, helping brokers such as myself building these plans for employers? At that time... Um, it was still just a commodity. We were retail. It was, I mean, our production was astronomical with these carriers. Retention wasn't good because, you know, there, there wasn't that, there wasn't that relationship that traditional agents have with their clientele. And that hurts. Um, and there was no vision on risk. I left eHealth and went to Washington, D.C. and helped a, a company called HCentive. We build the shop portal on healthcare.gov and put that risk component in there because of all of the different divergent platforms, the legacy platforms with the traditional carriers, that was a heavy lift. And I, and I think that's why that never took off is because we could never understand that risk um, adjustment factor and, and figure that one out. That's why I jumped, jumped back into the self-funded 
because then I can look at each individual group, each individual scenario um, to determine that risk and determine a platform that will help those groups. In the individual marketplace, and even in um, Medicare, it's really hard to understand that risk, even with all the big data that's out there, to make it actionable. I mean, you can run these algorithms, you can figure that out, but you need that data to become actionable when in the marketplace. And I think that's, that's lacking in the smaller group and especially the individual in the Medicare marketplace. For sure, for sure. So now uh, with, with you, you moving back to self-funded, there's obviously risk analysis involved. Are you seeing a, a trend where employers are a little bit more open-minded to moving towards self-funded groups? Yes. And I think it's more because of just the cost savings. And I think it's the, the C-suite, the CFOs that are looking at their, their, their expenses and we're two to three on, the, on their expenses in these companies and, we're, and it's uncontrollable and they don't have any insight to that. They have insight to their labor. They have insight to their suppliers. They don't have insight into their benefit packages. And that's why they want to actually start peeling those covers off. You have some of the commercial carriers that are you know, starting the ASOs or starting to give you some of this data back, but it's not actionable. Again, I go back to that actionable data. Self-funding gives you that. It's very specific. We know who your cost drivers are inside that group, and we can mitigate that while improving outcomes as well. And so it's not just what's my renewal and I want to go to the cheapest renewal. It's where are my cost drivers and how can I impact that year over year? It is a, it's, it's a long-term strategy. A lot of the brokers out there are starting to gravitate toward that. I wrote a self-fund, I mean, <laughs> I hate to say this, but my smallest self-funded group when I was a broker, because I used to be on that side as well, was Five Lives. But it made sense for that group. Um, right now, a, a claim doc will go down to 50, but it has to be a very unique situation where they have good control stability in their workforce, where we can impact that. Because when you have a lot, a lot of turnover when you get those smaller groups, it's hard to really have actionable data again, because you, you don't have the longevity um, and that long view of what that risk is. So on, on previous podcasts, I've actually talked about there's two pieces of the puzzle that we're trying to solve. One, one is the uh, funding of healthcare, and then there's the um, and that, that's when you pay for it, and then and then the expense side, right? And a lot of brokers uh, are my peers, right, across the country, and there are a lot of great people that uh, are in our industry. They're not trying to do harm. But they focus so much on the funding side, and right, they're trying to you know raise the deductible, get the premiums down, uh, how we're paying for this, how we're paying for that. But then there's the expense side, and 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 it seems like it, brokers stop at that point. It's like on the one year uh, one yard line, and they don't focus on on like how are we spending that money. And that's why like a lot of them one they're married to some of these legacy carriers, as you put, and so um, they don't give the data. They don't have it. So you could even even some of their self quasi self funded platforms don't give everything, and so how do we you go through and see what those expenses are, and then what's being paid? Because how many things, uh, and I'm sure you got some data, and we'll talk about some case studies that I I found on the website uh, that were public. That um, how many things are overpaid in the, in, in the claim data? Any facility charges overpaid? Any? <laughs> Any? <laughs> there is, and I've talked to hospital administrators, and like I said, I was on the provider side doing revenue cycle management. And there are errors in 100% of all facility bills. So the provider side, which is not your cost driver, there's not as many, but there's no coordination of care as well. And coordination of care is not just the providers 
to like providers and making sure that, that you know, we're referring you to the proper people. It's also to make sure that member has compliance, that that member has incentives to finish that prescription. The member has the incentive to go to physical therapy or occupational therapy um, and do the aftercare that's really needed, not only for their quality of life and to improve outcomes, but also to mitigate those expenses on the backside. Um, you don't want readmissions. You want people, if you do, if you do a knee replacement, you want them playing hockey or skiing like I do, you know, in the next year and enjoying life, not having aches and pains, especially as it goes later in life. Yeah. So how is Claim on Doc man- trying to manage that risk? So you have somebody internally or there's their partnerships uh, uh, that you guys work with? Claim Doc does everything in-house, which is very unique, but it also allows the teams and it's on one platform, one system. So the teams know that life cycle of that member, be it the onboarding, the care manage or the account management, we have case management in-house, but we also have clinicians that do bill auditing in-house. So we are looking forward. We're being proactive to figure out what's going on within a group, making sure that we do have the proper care, making sure that we've done outreach and we have access to providers um, for each group to improve those outcomes. So it, it is a very like a holistic approach. Our clinicians do a line item by line item review. We don't, we're not a repricer. We don't, repricing and auto adjudication is a four letter word for us. We look at every single claim and through our proprietary systems that are in house, we can do that and all of our teams communicate. So if our care management team sees that a member needs aftercare at a certain facility, they'll reach out to what we call our member advocacy group. They'll reach out to that facility before an appointment's even scheduled to grease those skids, to make sure that we have a smooth transition and we have the data available to improve those outcomes. But again, control those expenses. Yeah. So can you walk our audience through like, so um, somebody had, obviously we can't do this on a fully insured. It's bad. Um, it fits far better. The, the shoe is better on a self-funded platform. Uh, employee goes, presents the insurance card, claim, claim gets submitted. What happens from there? And where does claim doc involved? And can you walk us through um, how claim doc from start to finish? Just the, like a good summary of it. Sure. So claim doc is not a TPA. So we work with, with TPAs. We work with direct primary care. So that claim gets submitted. If it's outside, so if it's a direct primary care, it's going to go there. It's, you know, it's a capitated type of arrangement. If it goes to the TPA, the TPA will send it to us just like they would a network. You know, if you, if you want to look at it that way in the traditional sense, we'll look at that claim, review that claim, do our line, line item audits, and negotiate that claim to an equitable fee arrangement. Now, our fee arrangements are, we'll do, we'll start out with Medicare plus 20% or plus 20% of their cost list, which they have to do now with the ACA, whichever is greater. We're not here to shortchange the providers. We're here to make sure that it's fair and equitable. If, and then that's how we'll, we'll send it back to the TPA, they'll pay that claim. If a balanced bill or something comes up with that reimbursement, we have a balanced bill team It'll reach out to the provider. And a lot of it times it's because of the revenue cycle management companies. They do this third party on the provider side. They'll kick it out because they won't be able to attach it to a network. And that's, and that's a lot of these balance bills 
That's it's a simple reason. You call up, you explain how that reimbursement was made. 99% of providers say, okay, and now they can book it. And then my next member who comes into that provider, we don't have a problem with. If it's a hospital claim, we'll do an audit. We'll, we request a line-by-line bill. We'll do an audit on that bill. And then our, with our reimbursement to facilities, we supply our audit report. So it's, if it's an unbundled, bundled, if it's a duplicate charge, if it's a facility-acquired condition, we're not going to pay for that. There's no reason why a plan sponsor should pay for you know, a facility-acquired condition. So we'll, we'll negate all those and send it back to them and say, here's our explanation with a check. And if they come back further, we also have our own legal department. We don't use the FIA group, which is I, I love you know, Russo and his, and his team up in Boston, but we do everything in-house, so it's all coordinated. And then we'll take care of that. One thing that we can say is our plan designs, the member will never be responsible for anything above their out-of-pocket. The plan itself, the plan sponsor, will never be liable for anything above the maximum liability. We at ClaimDoc actually take co-fiduciary responsibility. So if we have to negotiate a bill and it happens to fall outside of the stop-loss contract, that's on us. We'll pay the, that, that delta. This helps us with our stop loss as well. You'll get a lot of um, reference-based pricing vendors out there that will say, hey, we can save you 10, 20% first year. Good. Let me save my stop loss rates that first year. We get those stop loss discounts because we work with our stop loss carriers. They understand what we do. And they also understand that we do take co-fiduciary responsibility to cap those costs. So the stop loss carriers are more comfortable with dealing with us. So it's, it's really... Um, more of a whole, like I said, a holistic approach. And that's how that process works. Yeah, I mean, so that was the long version, a short version. And, and this is, uh, you can go to the claim doc website. And we'll have it in the show notes. Uh, but like the first one, they, they, this is just from, I think, February uh, 2023. I don't know a specific date, but um, so I just printed this off this morning. So these are fresh um, um, that were published. Uh, there was a surgical facility treatment center uh, that a procedure was done. And there's more details to this on the website if you want to read it. But the, the total surgery bill uh, to the insurance company was $70,169. So ClaimDoc did their work, right? Went through that whole process that you just explained. That line item audit. Yep. Just went through it all. Contact every person that's part of the team to make sure it all. And so that $70,000 bill came down to $5,091. And so... Uh, it, it saved the plan $65,000, which um, the, the, they put a reduction percentage of the 93%. I mean, that that's the big picture, right? And so when you look at some self-funded groups and some of the smaller groups, if you want to call it that, even under 100 employees, they get a little nervous, right? One claim is going to skyrocket, right? So they need somebody in their back pocket. Um, claim to Oc is just obviously one of the, uh, the bigger ones out there uh, that you could have somebody review these claims so that you don't have to like the employer and the CFO doesn't have time to do this, right? The TPA isn't, I mean, they're just the administrators, right? So they're not doing, it, but so who's analyzing these claims, right? And so, and that's the problem that a lot of union plans have, right? They just keep writing these checks and the healthcare fund keeps running out of money and they keep asking the members to pay more. And, and so, and that's a whole nother topic we can get into, but, um, but here, you know, instead of having 65, I'm sorry, $70,000 come out of the claim pool, right? Now you're only getting $5,000. So it frees up cash. And surgical centers are notorious for that because traditionally, I mean, the, the, the legacy process is 
wholesale discounts. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to charge that. And the charge masters, especially with the transparency rules, everybody has to list their list price out, their wholesale price out there. And so you have these you know, centers going out and they want to be, and they'll just match the highest price. So what you're going to see if there's transparency issue is everybody's going to be at the same level and it's not going to be a discount. It's going to be the highest wholesale price out there. That's what happened in this particular case. So we went through and looked at that. On a, and I think you know, we update these all the time on the website. This is bundled versus unbundled. So this should have been a bundled service. They, they charge us the bundled rate and then they charge us line item for unbundled services that should have been rolled right. up into that. That's how come that was such a steep discount. And, and and that makes sense. And then even on, so just the transition to fully insured, right? This happens all the time in the fully insured. And uh, and in my past um, podcast, I've been talking about my son and he had a procedure. And so we had a local hospital that he had the surgery. And so even though we're on a fully um, insured platform because of the uh, size of our company, that um, they did the exact same thing. And the insurance company was like, uh, no, it was like, Eight thousand dollars. They're like, uh, no, you already billed this for this on another item, and so I'm glad some insurance companies are sticking up for it, but which ones are not, right? And that's the problem. And the, all these claims are, uh, and then uh, on a just recently another podcast, uh, I think it's uh, going to be released here shortly. I talked about there was a study. I think it was in Maine where um, there that the the leg one of the legacy uh, insurance companies um, actually lost in court because they would pay the same exact claim differently depending on who the who the group was and so some would pay more and then others they would scrutinize and so obviously it's just the wild wild west right you 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 have some i i have a example with anthem that paid over bill charges and you scratch your head and when you do self-funded and you go the traditional ppo network you're leasing that network and the provisions in that contract I'll, i'll i'm gonna pick on signa right now you do not have audit rights. So whatever Cigna says you have to pay as a plan sponsor, you have to pay. And that's just not right. Yeah. And, I, and I've heard that with um, um, contracts that are out there and employers sign and most employers don't read it. They don't have it uh, reviewed. And, and, and here it's costing the, the pool more. And, but then employers are going to say, well, what about all, all this premium? Uh, it keeps going up every year, but we're not trying to control um, some of the costs. Hey, gang. Ever wonder what it's like to be a small business owner? It's confusing. Weird expenses coming out of nowhere. And when you throw in health insurance, forget it. Nobody understands how that works. If you own a business, big or small, it's one of the biggest expenses you have all year long. And yet, we all wait until open enrollment at the end of the year, and then we think to ourselves, next year, next year I'll get a jump on it. And then it's another year of paying way too much. If you're a business owner, big or small, HR representative that wants to impress the boss, give Butch Zemar of Elite Benefits of America a call. Save yourself or your boss thousands or even tens of thousands of dollars a year. Reach out to Butch right now, 708-535-3006, or shoot him an email, butch at elitebenefits.net. And be sure to check out the Zemar podcast. Don't wait till the last minute. Put Butch Zemar to work for you now. What do you see from a uh, from your your seat working in claim doc and your experience in the industry? Where things are headed? I, I want to work myself out of a job, but um, what I want to see is I want to I want to see providers and facilities empowered to figure out what their actual costs are and become really that that partner with the patient, not the payer. 
The pair should be last on that totem pole. And I, I'm hoping so. I'm working right now with uh, a hospital association, American Hospital Association, because they, they're pushing back heavy on reference-based pricing. But reference-based pricing has really improved over the last five years, where it's, it's been more holistic of, we're not just going to give, say we're going to reimburse Medicare plus 20%, and then the member has to deal with those balance bills. We're also actually looking at the care, looking at outcomes. I think the risk sharing that is part of the Affordable Care Act, once we start doing those ACOs and they get traction, I think that we can transition away from the secret sauce of the commercial carriers network contracts and get into really transparency where you can go to your doctor and say, hey, I, I have a cough. What's it going to cost me? Or you go to a hospital and they're going to tell you up front. Um, what their actual cost is and, and what you're and then they're going to compare that to your coverage mm -hmm. and tell you what your out-of-pocket cost is, but also provide that data to the ultimate payer, which is the employer in most cases, or it's going to be the insurance carrier. And you bring up a good point. So these ACOs, which uh, are accountable care organizations, right. right? And so they've been actually been in the works for some time. This isn't anything new. Um, and so you actually think that that's going to take off a little bit more and more as time goes on? Yeah, it, it, in my you know, rose-colored glasses, if you actually read through the Affordable Care Act, which I did numerous times, um, if we enacted each one of those provisions and they grabbed hold and you didn't get the pushback from the status quo, both on, age, on the agent side, the employer side, and the, care, and the payer side, we would actually be able to just like we're doing in self-funding, look at what our cost drivers are in this country and enact mitigation standards to not only reduce those costs, but improve outcomes. Pre-diabetics, hypertension, those are, those are huge. I mean, cancers are a hit and miss. We know some of the um, risks associated with cancer, you know, um, but diabetics, pre you know, type two diabetes is preventable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for a lot. <laughs> you know, yeah. hypertension is preventable, and they go hand in hand. For sure. Um, I, I think respiratory diseases too. And it's all about inflammation. And you know, if you look at the, on the clinical side, we don't have a good grasp of that globally. And I think that our fragmented healthcare system in this country, we need to fix that. And it has to be driven on the providers, not the payers. It, it has to be driven by the old doctors and have them look at their patients and get, want to get their patients better, not looking at what the profit is and gaming the system to make sure they get maximum reimbursement from a tertiary payer, the third party payers. I'm not yeah. off my soapbox now. Yeah, but that's, yeah. yeah it's, yeah. I, I think that that's, we need to start driving this from the ground up instead of the top down. I agree. It's going to have to, right? Uh, I think uh, employees and policyholders are going to have to have a little more skin in the game by taking responsibility, speak to their employer, get their voice. Uh, employers are going to have to have a uh, speak up. I mean, some of them just turn over and just say, I'm that like, like they don't know what to do anymore. Um, and uh, they just, uh, some of them throw up the flag. I mean, some businesses have gone out of business because healthcare costs gone through the yeah. roof. Uh, there's a guy, I think he's out of Wisconsin that wrote a book that, uh, um, uh, about how he researched all these ideas and then it saved his company because he was on the verge of bankruptcy uh, and purely because of the high cost of healthcare. And so he had figured out ways to reverse the trend. This is years ago before ClaimDoc um, was even around. 
uh, or even maybe the reference-based pricing idea in, uh, in general. But speaking of, uh, so a claim doc, uh, I was trying to see if they're, what they were up to these days before our, our interview today, but it sounds like this year's a year of celebration for them. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. They, they made a decade. They made a decade. Um, Bruce, who, or, or Ben, who's our chairman, uh, who you interviewed two years ago, actually, it was. Um, it's his company. He, started, he, he was running a captive, had PPO networks, couldn't control that risk, and came up with this idea of ClaimDoc. Um, so we're privately owned. We don't have any investors in there. It's Ben and Bruce, who's our CEO, who own this company. Everything is in West Des Moines. We're under one roof. We had, I think when Ben was here a couple years ago, he had just closed on the, our new, new uh, facility. offices. Yeah. 30,000 square foot. I spent a few weeks out there. Beautiful facility, room to grow. Um, but everybody's under one roof. And it, it, there's a good pool of workers out there in Iowa to pull from. Um, so yeah, and we had a boom, a banner year last year. Um, I only came on in August over here but you know we we're seeing more and more people especially when you come off of other reference based pricing models um and the fact that we integrate really well we can do a dual option where we could have a ppo stand against a reference based price model and let the member decide we could incorporate dpcs we can incorporate community hospital plans into our system because we have that steerage built in. We have those member advocates. We have our, our member services teams that work hand in hand to really steer them. And no matter what your plan design is, if the member actually takes our advice and goes to these members or does aftercare, we'll reduce their costs or give them a check back for their out-of-pocket expenses and make it zero cost for them to obtain their health care. You know, that's, that's the patients and the members incentive. Um, and then... Like I said, this risk sharing you know, with the ACOs, when that takes off, that's only going to incentivize the providers to sort of kick out the legacy carriers, the legacy payers, and say, yeah, we want to take control of our own mm-hmm. success. Yeah, for sure. Now, um, with, with uh, obviously celebrating 10 years and, and a lot of growth and, and uh, insight on the future, and, and a lot of things are moving more technology-driven, tech stack, right? And so, um, like, what does ClaimDoc have any plans in the future of doing more integration or more tools to the, the policyholder to help make this claim experience a little bit more positive um, going forward? Yes, we are. Okay. <laughs> just, just yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, we are. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's because the data, the d- data sets that are out there, trying to make them actionable i'll go back to that we have all this data but how do we make that actionable and reasonably understandable for the member to actually digest and make educated choices so yes we're moving toward that we're moving toward more self-service where the member can go in um our pave the way program which is our onboarding program you can nominate doctors but nominate facilities so we can do proactive outreach um but i think we need to integrate with some of these wearable devices um, and, and make it so you have a one-stop shop where a member can log in and look at all their readings, look at what's going on in their body, look what's going on in their activity, um, and see what their overall cost is and project that to the individual member. And I think that's probably the next step in this is where a member can act instead of the, just the plan, go down to the member level where they can look at their expenses, they can look at their outcomes, and then they can take uh, you know, control mm-hmm. of their own health care. For, I talk about it on the podcast. They got to take more responsibility, uh, not use it like an open credit card, 
And um, I and I compare it to other insurance products when we talk about what what is insurance and what is it really supposed to do just from a general uh, purpose. And so when we look at our homeowners insurance, right, like um, like I think the healthcare should be the same way where the owners involved, if there's a class catastrophic loss or some type of repair that needs to get done that are bigger than maintenance and they're involved in the process, they're worried about the cost. Okay, even though the insurance company is going to pay, but they know it's going to be kicked in on the back end. But homeowners insurance is really affordable. Same with auto insurance as compared to um, health insurance. But we demand so much out of it. But then we have no idea what we give so little into it. I mean, I I would say the auto insurance. Look, you'll get a discount if you let your auto carrier track your driving habits. Now, what if you did? Nobody will do that with health. They're too afraid, but they'll do it with their car. It's it's. But I think that's where we need to sort of go. Yeah, and, it, and you're right with the with it coming up on these mobile devices. Uh, I always joke. I'm I try to become an ultra runner. I mean, I did accomplish 50 miles at one point. I do um, have ambitions to do 100. But if I only had a dashboard to actually give me readings of what I should and shouldn't do, um, my life would be a little bit easier. Not only just from a endurance athlete um, uh, perspective, but life, right? Like because there might be days that you feel. A little off, but your dashboard says you're good. You know, you don't want dummy lights. Yeah, you want to see what's going on. So, and we need to aggregate that data. So your Dexcom doesn't. So my shout out to my Aura Ring, um, which I love because I can check everything. I can check now. I can check my O2 levels, um, all my respiratory, all my you know my heartbeats, and, and see what I'm doing. But if I have all these different devices, I have to go to all these different platforms to do that. We need to aggregate that so it's easy for you guys to look at that. And also for the for the patient to understand where they sit, but also for us to look at that patient and do maybe some outreach to get them either off the couch or to get them eating better. Um, nutritionist is, is going to be the next foray into adding that to your benefits, adding any nu- nutritional benefits into a plan design, um, I think will, will be a huge step forward. So obviously, um, not only, you know, claim doc, but the the experience and the and the the claim savings that it brings to the table, employers may want to get access to this, right? Um, you mainly, uh, I think, one hundred percent work through brokers and TPAs, right? Yes. Yeah, and so you don't do direct business. Don't do direct business, but if any employer out there wants to reach out and learn more about us, and then bring it to their broker or have their broker contact us, I'm all for that, and we have that all the time. Is a company will see something that we're doing. And we'll get the CFO reach out and ask us questions and see if we can work with us direct. I don't want to you know, butter my bread on both sides. And we really need the advisors out there because they have a better feel for that client and what's going on in the business of that client. We know of their, their risk on the health side, but you really need somebody out there who's the advocate for that, that employer. Um, but yeah, they can reach out to us. Their brokers can reach out to us. Usually what will happen is I'll talk to the, the employer I'll ask for the broker's name or I'll say, just have him give me a call or yeah. her. Yeah. I was going to say, how do they get in touch with you? Um, they can get in touch. Go to our website. It's claim dash doc, Awesome. And that's where I got some of the information that, uh, for this podcast today. So, uh, you can go to the website and you can pull those case studies and kind of get an insight and then reach out to even Dan, I'll have them in the show notes. You'll be able to reach out directly. Thanks. All right, thanks for coming down to the south side and uh, hopefully to have you back again. Yeah, I look forward to it. Thanks. Thank you very much.